Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity in Play. I'm Steve Galberg. I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online at creativityinplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play and download archived editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Angelique Felix. Angelique is a play specialist who creates safe spaces where parents can play with their young children, where children learn in a fun way, where adults encounter their inner child. She joins us today from Italy. Angelique Felix, welcome to Creativity and Play. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mary Alice. And hello, world. Thank you for listening. And and we should say welcome back after technical difficulties a few weeks ago. We're glad to have you back for a full full half hour with us. Thank you. I'm very happy so, to be here. We we talked a little bit the last time as we got started about the fact that you actually trained as a lawyer back in the 70s mm-hmm. in, in the Netherlands. And today, as we said in the introduction, you are involved in play with children and adults and helping them understand and tap into that better. So what what was the path that brought you from law to play? Yes. Um, maybe I should say that uh, studying law doesn't necessarily mean that it's boring or that it's not playful. Um, I had a great time at university. I think it was one of the best moments of my life. And uh, after my study, I had a great opportunity to start working in a big company in The Hague, where I met uh, wonderful people who played a lot during their work. And um, it all started like that. So having a good example in front of me, my boss, I followed his footsteps. And it all started like that. Let me make it short. Uh, I looked at him, I copied, I observed, I copied a bit, and then made it my own. And I started to play. Angelique. I was just going to follow up to say that I think the this perception that law is not creative or playful is one of those ones that you hear sometimes along with finance or accounting as well and and yet at the same time constantly of course hearing examples of how playful and creative it is and that you know both mm-hmm. fields involve constant problem solving which is a very creative activity and so i i, I think it's a great reminder in, in your own story of the fact that in fact those fields of work can be very creative, playful, imaginative, and, and in fact require that to do it well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, of course, so, Steve, that I there were also very difficult moments during my study, but at the moment when I started to follow my path, so I met the, the right people, I chose the right specialization, um, I started to follow my flow. And when you get personally involved, even if it's uh, something that seems boring or far away from your bed, as we say in Holland, um, I made it my own. And, yeah, I have to say that 
And never say uh, no to something unless you try it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, Angelique, I'm I'm feeling very joyful about being with you today, and with Steve, mm-hmm. and um, and I and I'm thinking I I'm just wondering about your um, title of your practice, your playful practice, the magic of play. Why do you call it the magic of play? Uh, I think I call it the magic of play because um, I am a fairy. So fairies (laughs) create magic in this world. And my special special talent, you know that all fairies have have special talents. And mine is uh, to create intimate bonding moments between parents and children. So this is one of the main parts of my work, to connect uh, the inner child of a parent um, to the ch- to its own child. And um, those moments, that what you see happen in those moments, I cannot call it differently as magical moments because it's like um, a door opens and there is a true and lovely connection between the both of them. Well, I can understand you calling yourself a fairy because mm-hmm. I, with all the new Muppet movies, I've declared that I'm a Muppet. So I can totally that. <laughs> and I wonder, I'm also wondering about your magic coming out of the, your background or your um, what you part a large part of what you're doing in your life is you're a single mom and yeah. um, and so tell us about the connection between being a mom and what and and uh, the birth of your daughter and how that led to your work with play and children and connecting the dots for adults out there. So what do you want to know? How how did how your, I play at home? Mm, sorry. Yeah, how did, how, anything you can tell us about your being a mom and how that helps you okay. to play with children and other parents or adults and help them all be more playful in life. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, uh, Chanel, that is the name of my daughter, she's five, and she is, of course, the biggest inspiration source. As you go, if you go look around in the Kids Bloggers uh, Network, you will see that all moms, um, most of the bloggers are moms, they almost uh, almost always write about their kids and what they do at home. And it isn't different in my home. I think, um, and this is a long story, Mary Alice, um, it all started when she was born and I discovered to have breast cancer. Uh, it all started there that she gave me a kind of hope, let me put it like that, to continue of being faithful about life and to trust in my body that I can deal with this uh, sickness. And in that process, I started to be more aware and more conscious about myself, 
about who I am and that's what I like in life. And I discovered that I really like to play with my child. Um, I did it every day and I invented my own games. Um, and from one thing led to another thing and I wrote a book about it. And that book was published and then I made my website and then I discovered social media. So it's, yeah, this is more or less my story, how it started. I play every day, uh, if, if it's inside the house with my child, uh, whether I am out, whether I am doing workshops, even when I'm blogging or creating, I'm always having fun. I think the joy of my life, the job of my life is being joyful and happy and playing and creating. <laughs> yeah. You just mentioned in, in that story about your being a mom and, and how that led into the, the work you're doing, that you invented your own games to play with your daughter. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that specific topic and challenge and, and actually how do you go about doing that? Because I think... There's so many people who, first of all, about themselves, say, I'm not creative, and then sort of oh, by yeah. extension, they think about how do they engage with their children or their coworkers or whoever it might be. You know, if if they don't see themselves as creative, then the, the, the challenge of saying, well, I can invent my own games to play with my kids is sort of perhaps a great challenge or stretch for them to think about how to do that. So what mm -hmm. advice do you have to you know, not not create the perfect game that's going to be on the shelf in the store necessarily, but to create a game that's just fun to play with your children and family. Yeah, I think the best uh, the best way to start is um, to try to go back into your own childhood and to think. I'm sure that everybody can think of at least one game or one pleasurable moment that he or she had while growing up. And it all starts there, because if you want to become creative, I think we are all creative. People who say that they are not creative, I understand that, that they say so. But I believe that if you have the chance to connect to that part of long time ago where you were playing or you were drawing or you were singing without being ashamed of society, um, it all starts there. If you can even push a little bit that door or turn around the key, then the flow will go. And I can tell you, Steve, I I wasn't able to make one drawing. I wasn't able to sing or to um, to make music or to be together with more than, than two children without becoming stressed or nervous. And I proved myself completely wrong. I just uh, I just tried. I started to do it, and I saw that it was possible. Never say no again. Uh -huh. Angelique, you uh, use in your work the Reggio Emilia approach, and I wonder for uh, those listeners who do not know what that method. They don't know what that method is. If you could uh, explain to us what sure. Reggio brings to the table. 
Yeah, uh, the Rachel and Emilia approach is um, was born in Reggio uh, Emilia, that is a province here in the north of Italy. And um, the most important thing of Reggio Emilia is that um, the teachers or the educators are not fixed on uh, curriculum. I don't know if I say the correct word. So they don't program everything uh, uh, ahead. They have a, a global idea and they follow the children during the day. So they see on which level, on which stage of development that child or the group is, and they enter that part of development to create activities around. So observing is a very important part in Retroemilia, and also the process is very important. They always say process is more important than the end result. So people or the children can create, they can do, they can play, um, but they will not be told you should go or you should work to this result. No. Here you have a piece of, this is a piece of paper. Here you have a crayon or paint. You can start. You can do what you want. And uh, what touched me very much, because I had the great opportunity to go and visit Reggio Emilia last year, uh, what touched me very much is the slowing down. So, um, sometimes they will offer an activity to children, and what you will see, especially with little children who are not speaking yet or have not the, the vocabulary yet, is that they are very observing. And um, they will not immediately come over to action. Um, so as an educator, as a teacher, you have to have the patience to wait and to observe and to see what will happen. Maybe nothing will happen, and then you have to do your activity in a different kind of way. Or maybe something will happen that you didn't think about. Uh, or maybe that will happen that you thought would happen. And this is so great about Rachel Emilia, that it's very open-minded and that it's not fixed. And I really like that. So I try to I try to work with this approach. I adopted this approach into my work. Um, I have to say, of course, not always. I am in the flow of following and to be observing and patient because if you have ten children screaming around you or they want attention or they are tired or they are hungry, um, you really have to yeah you have to follow that. Um, but it's really something beautiful. You can read more about it on my blog. I just posted some very interesting pictures, uh, and I think a picture says more than a thousand words. Building on that example that you were sharing from from the Reggio Emilia approach and, and how you incorporate that, what else happens in the workshops that you do with children? What what does it look like? What's happening in those workshops? Um, it depends on what kind of workshops. Um, most of the times I work with children and parents together. 
We're not doing infant massage workshop. The children are between zero and 12 months. And um, there everything can happen because a baby, of course, uh, will always do what it thinks is good at that moment. So that, that is very interesting to see. Um, what you, what I, sorry, what I always see back, though, in all those workshops where parents and children come together, is that many times parents want to, um, let me put it, stimulate their children to do that what I offer. So when I say let's do a ring around the roses, I'll do that always because they love it, the children. Uh, some children don't want to give a hand. They don't want to have physical contact to an adult or to a child that they don't know. And I appreciate that. I respect their choices. But what you see is that parents find it difficult to let it go. And many times they say to the child, come on, let's do it. And everybody's doing it. So also you should do it. Uh, this is something that always comes back. And um, I try to relax the parents at that moment and say, hey, it's okay, you know. When they come to play at Angie's place, um, children can be who they are because here it's safe to be who you are. I don't judge you. In play, everything is allowed. So while talking to the parent in this way, you already see that the parent starts to breathe again. Ah, okay, it's okay if my child is throwing itself on the floor because it doesn't want to do the ring around the road. It's okay. So... This is something typical that I always see coming back. Parents want their children to do that what all the other children are doing. Maybe it's a, yeah, not that what you wanted to hear. I don't know. And, and I assume sort of by extension you see that the effects of that in the adults you work with as well in terms of when that expectation was placed upon them perhaps when they were younger, how that plays out in their adult lives? It's possible, yeah. But I don't know that. I cannot say anything about that, Steve. That, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. I think it's a, it's a general kind of reaction. It's a general kind of human reaction. And um, I think also when you have children and you go to the supermarket, maybe you know that if you have children and the child is tired and doesn't want to go and do shopping, and starts to cry, and everybody wants to get involved in that crying part. Everybody wants to give good advice to the parent and say, hey, it's okay, or here you have a candy, or look at this. You know, it's society who tries to do its best. At least that is what society thinks. This is the best thing to do. Instead, I think it would be better just to let everybody be and give everybody its freedom also to be. And this, of course, is not easy, especially when you are in a room with 26 persons, 12 adults and 12 children. And you have children, yeah, I, were, I just had a workshop like that last Saturday. And you have one child running around and, and, and yelling and jumping, and the dad is running behind the child and saying, come here, 
no, don't do this. And you also see that on the picture. And then I say to the dad, because he tells me the dad, hey, I'm so sorry, he say, because the boy is not speaking yet. He is having difficulties to express himself. And I look at him and I say, hey, it's okay, you know. We are, I say, try to see how your son is, um, how your son is learning while jumping and screaming and yelling. And, uh, and, and he seems to disturb that what we are doing, but he's not. He has a great added value because I would say, for example, one, two, three, and then he would say, three, three, three. And I say, you see, he learned something new today. He learned the word three in English for an Italian young boy. How great is that? And then the dad will look at me. Maybe he thinks that woman is completely crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But he looks at me and he says, ah, yeah, I didn't look at it like that. Yeah. So this is what happens in my workshop. How happy I and I am very satisfied. I'm very happy after these kind of meetings. I'm very happy. Yeah. When and when you're working and playing with adults, uh, what do you notice about the adults' ability to try new things that might and and. How is that similar or different from how the children try out new things? It's not. It's completely the same. It's completely the same. Children react in the same way as adults. I mean, the adults react almost in the same way as the children react. Does that sound strange to you? Well, tell tell me more about that, Angelique. Um, what I noticed um, doing workshops, mommy and me workshops, is that in the beginning, the parents are very reserved. So they will sit down with their back against the wall, and they will push their children forward to me. Until I say, stop, or basta, uh, now we play together. I say, I cannot handle a group of ten, ten children all by myself, and they don't know me. I need your help in this. Come on. And uh, then I see when you say this, they let go completely. And it means that when I play peekaboo with the kids and I say, now which parent wants to come and play peekaboo with us? Yeah, me. They all come. If I do a, a painting work with the kids, a big, huge painting work, and we do apple painting, for example. Yeah, maybe, probably, they have never done that in their life, to paint or to print with apples. Maybe their parents told them, you should not play with food. You should not do that. So, Or you should not mess around and uh, make yourself dirty. So maybe... Um, uh, Coming with their children to this kind of workshop, sometimes it looks like it's like a hidden kind of agenda that they or like something that so that they can explore also that that they never had before. So in the end, there is no difference between the child and the parents. The parents many times say to me, 
can I try that also? And I say, sure, be my guest. But of course, not immediately. Sometimes it takes me over a year before they get to this point. And sometimes there are parents who immediately jump in. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. It's a very interesting process. So the question that I'd like to follow up with that is, let's see, is messiness beneficial? Is imperfection and messiness and not being tidy beneficial to both the kids and the parents so they can play? Um, Yes, I think it's when you play, uh, it's possible that you get dirty. So when you come and play, it's better not to put on white trousers or white white new T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Is this what you want to hear? Sorry, maybe I didn't understand the question. Um, I think. to become messy, uh, um, no, let me put it like that, to have the courage to become messy is a, uh, is a great uh, victory for a child. So um, I noticed, because when I started to work with children, I thought all children love it to get dirty. But it's not like that. Children very often... Uh, show me their hands and they say, oh, I'm so dirty. Look, I have one mm, spot of paint on my finger. Can I please go and wash my hands? And, of course, I have to respect that. And I say, sure, go. Yeah, it's not something naturally or normally that all children like to put their hands in the paint and on the paper. Sometimes it takes a while, and there is nothing wrong with that. There are great uh, possibilities to play with messiness in a clean way. Yeah. And I can tell you, I can show you, I can tell you some examples if you want, but maybe you are not interested in that. Oh, we are, but we're going to be running <laughs> out of time, so we'll move yeah, on no. to the next question. But I think messiness and Imperfection is is such it for definitely for adults. It's it's hard for many adults to be imperfect and to not look to not look just so. And um, so I can imagine in the room that there is some of that in the mix, uh, and also with the children of wanting to have um, some clear spaces and some very. Um, messy paintings going on at the same time. <laughs> I yeah. think there's both yeah, yeah, yeah. in play, that's for sure, as you say, yes. Yeah. Well, in the last minute or so, I'm just wondering if picking up on uh, on your passion for travel and language and the fact that you were born in the Netherlands, you now live in Italy, you interact with people in multiple countries through the work that you do. What What's the importance of, of those diverse experiences through travel and language on how we play. Um, Yeah, that's a very nice question to end the conversation with. Uh, I teach English to Italian kids. In Italy, the level of English is very, very poor. Um, 
I always say to them, a language is not something technical that you can study by following grammatical schemes. A language is like singing. It's other uh, heights or melodies. Uh, feeling a language is so important. So if you talk about the language part and the traveling, through the traveling, I came in touch with many different kinds of languages, not only the spoken words, but also the cultural, the cultural unspoken words, and of course, very important, the body language. And I can tell you, Stephen, in Italy, you are in the right place, because Italians really speak with their whole being. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you very much, Angelique, for joining us today on Creativity and Play. Angelique Felix is a play specialist, author, and educator based in Italy. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com and find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dalbert. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you for joining us, Angelique. Thank you so much. Goodbye. See you soon. <laughs>